Well, it happened again about a month ago. Uh, this time, I was out, just outside, barely on the outskirts of Crawfordsville, Indiana. I'd been away for three days at the, the, the leadership program that I'm part of, and um, uh, it was hot. I was sweaty. I was tired. I was ready to be home with my family, and traffic ground to a halt. And I'm sitting there in my little PT cruiser close to the ground, with a huge pickup truck in front of me, unable to see while we're stopped. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know if it's going to be a a long thing. I don't know if it's going to be a short thing. I don't know if we're just waiting for somebody to turn left. I, I don't know what's going on. All I know is it's hot. My air conditioning hasn't cooled off the car yet. I'm tired. I want to be home. And there's got to be a way around this standstill. And so I pulled up my phone real quick and, and uh, punched on maps and opened up my GPS and, and uh, zoomed in and zoomed out and looked a little bit. And, and sure enough, I was pretty sure that I could find my way around this standstill. So I kind of uh, maneuvered a little bit out into the left lane to see how far to that road I would need to turn on, took another look at the GPS and did what I thought was best. Now, I'm going to ask you to be honest, by show of hands, how many of you have ever had a situation like that where you're stuck in traffic and you don't want to be stuck in traffic and you figure that you can find a route around this on your own or maybe with the help of GPS? We've got a few honest people. Bless those of you who raised your hand. The rest of you, I'll take your confession after church. Why do we do this? Why do we assume that we know a better way? Why are we so quick to get off of a path that we know is going to take us where we want to go and get on a path that we figure we can maneuver and and make it get to where we want to go faster? You see, when we do it behind the wheel, it's kind of one thing. I mean, really, it's probably not a huge deal. But we do this in all parts of our lives. So, for example, um, you uh, you say, you know, this this uh, this vehicle, the gas mileage is just killing us. We cannot afford to continue to pay for gas. What we're paying for gas, we're filling it up too much, too often. It takes too much, and so you go down to the dealer. And uh, you find a car that you like, and even with your trade-in, you still end up paying an additional twenty thousand. And you're like, "Well, hey, now it works." Well, I got news for you: you could drive that car for thirty-five years, and you'll never be even. You're never going to make up in gas mileage the twenty thousand you put to get a new car. But you know, that's what I wanted to do. It or or um, or or how's this for the the younger generation, perhaps? Your cell phone isn't holding charge for a day. You can't do all the social media you want or whatever. And, um, and so instead of getting a new battery, which would cost like 60 bucks, you decide it's time to get a new phone, which is like $300. And you're like, well, it just made sense. Well, what kind of sense? The kind with the C or the kind with the S? I mean, why do we do these things? Why do we assume that we can get off a path that we want? Why is it that when we come to a fork in the road, we choose the one that feels good instead of the one that often makes the most sense? Why do we avoid crunching the numbers? Or why do we crunch the numbers and say, well, 
I'm sure this will work out anyway. Why, when we come to a fork in the road, do we go the way that we want to go regardless of what is the better option? I'd like to suggest to you that one of the reasons that we do that is that because our heart is on a happiness quest, not a truth quest. For most of us, our heart, the thing we desire the most is our own happiness and pleasure and comfort. For most of us, our heart is not concerned about truth. And let me just see if if I can illustrate this. And again, this is going to require your honesty. Okay, so if you can't feel like you can be honest, you're welcome to not answer. Now, if you don't answer, we'll know that you're struggling with honesty. So I want you to shout out your answer as loud as you can. When you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing you do? Let me hear your answers. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? I, I think I heard someone say scratch. I don't know. It could have been a conglomeration of things I was hearing. But the first answer I heard, the very, the, this person was just, whoever it was, right, on, right off the, the gun, was coffee. And I heard other things. And, you know, I, I mean, we all have biological issues to deal with and all that. But for most of us, if we're being honest, which I sense most of you were, um, the first thing we do in the morning is about our own happiness. It's about our comfort, about our pleasure. Now, eventually, I would assume, in a group of people like this, eventually we would, sometime in the morning, maybe before we've been up too long, we're going to open God's word, and we're going to spend time in prayer asking for his truth to, you know, to light our path that day. But by and large, the very first thing we seek when, he, when we awaken is our comfort, our pleasure, our satisfaction, our happiness. Now, I don't think in and of itself, our heart's quest for our own happiness, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But the problem comes when our heart chooses the happy now path instead of the happy later path. The problem isn't in, in a desire to be happy. God's not like an ogre in the sky saying, thou shalt not have fun. Thou shalt not be comfortable. That's, that's not who God is. God's given us many things for our pleasure and our enjoyment. The problem comes when our heart seeks happiness now above delayed gratification, above happiness later for a greater cause. And again, I just want you to work with me. I want to see if I can illustrate this in a way that will connect with us. If you are a coffee drinker, and I know at least one person is, if you're a coffee drinker, hold your hand in the air and keep it up until I ask you to put it down. Hold it high. Oh, I expected more hands than that. Okay. I'm not, but I'm just doing this for point of illustration. Um, If you're a coffee drinker, hold it high. Now, um, Keep it up until I ask you to put it down. If you buy your coffee at the store, let's say it comes in a container and says Folgers or Maxwell House or something to that effect, and you brew it at home and either drink it black or you mix it with a little bit of cream and or sugar, put your hand down if that describes you. Oh my goodness. well, this isn't going to (laughs) work. Andrea, Pastor Andrea, I guess it's just you. 
Yeah, there's, there might be. I'm having a hard time seeing them. But we're going to run with it because chances are you know someone who would have left their hand in the air like the poor Pastor Andrea did. So here's the thing. If you're not one of these coffee drinkers who buys at the store and brews it at home and you know a little bit of cream and coffee, and if you're not one of those, I would suggest that you don't actually like coffee. Because what you're drinking isn't actually called coffee. There's different names for it. Sometimes it's soy latte. Sometimes it's maybe red eye Libby Lou. Maybe it's a white chocolate mocha frappuccino or a triple grande skinny cinnamon dolce latte. Or maybe it's a triple skinny two-thirds decaf half chocolate, no whip grande mocha, extra foam to go. I mean, I don't know what you call your version of coffee, but if I don't miss my guess... Your coffee costs you about five bucks a cup. Ah, quit your lying. I've bought your coffee before. I know how much your coffee costs. If Ashley were in here, it'd be even worse, I'm telling you. And the rest of you, I don't don't buy it. Okay, so here's the deal. I, I did a little math while I was working on this sermon. Just using round numbers, we'll say your coffee costs five bucks, because it actually is pretty close. And let's say you buy that five days a week for a month. At the end of the month, how much have you spent on coffee? If my math is right, and it might not be, I'm a pastor, not a you know, calculator, uh, it's $80. Does that sound right? Some of our CPAs in the house? $100? Oh, yeah, because it is. Oh, no, I skip weekends. Let's skip weekends. That's still $100, see? My math is off. What would I do without you guys? That, that's, that's why Sarah does the homeschooling with the kids. I just try to preach sermons. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 times 4 is 100. Okay, so that's even better. That even makes my point more. Um, with $100 a month, do you know how many children the missionary church in India could feed and educate in a month? What's that, Pastor Joel, louder? Amen, he says. My number's off because I figured it on $80. It's a ton. Now, when I was putting this together and obviously doing my, I know why I did my math wrong, because I got distracted. As I was writing this out, I looked to the left of my computer screen where my Trenta iced green tea from the store sat and realized that I spent four bucks on iced tea. And I started to feel guilty. Because if it weren't for our desire for happiness now, we might be able to make a difference in the world. So can you imagine, and just run with the illustration, can you imagine at the end of your life, you stand before God, I stand before God, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, and when I was uneducated, you did something about it, and we'll be like, when did we do that? And God will say, when you quit drinking those ridiculous drinks you called coffee, and gave the money to the missionary church in India so that they could feed my children and they could educate them for 50 cents a day. And we'll be like, hey, cool. 
Can you imagine how good that would feel? Could you imagine how happy your heart would be to hear your Savior say, well done, you did what I asked you to do. And yet if I don't miss my guess, probably none of us are going to stop drinking our $5 coffees or $4 teas and give all that money to help others who don't even have rice to eat, don't even have a basic math book to figure out that Five times five is 25, and 25 times four is 100. Because our heart is most concerned about happy now and not happy later. This isn't unique to us. This isn't new to our generation. But because of our insane wealth in this country and our our place in the world drama at this point in time, it's most obvious, perhaps more obvious for us than it ever has been. But it's not new. We've been looking at Solomon's writings from the book of Proverbs. And we've seen that, that, that even in Solomon's day and before, people struggled with this notion of being on the right path. We said in week one that there's a principle in the universe, we called it the principle of the path, which says, do you remember? Shout it out if you were here. Your direction determines your destination. We saw that this is a principle that we get when it comes to navigation, but we forget in other parts of our lives. Your direction determines your destination and your choices determine your direction. And last week we, we saw that there come, there come forks in the road, there come forks in life where we choose paths and sometimes we have the ability to see what's coming at the end of that path. And Solomon said it's the wise, the prudent who see danger coming in a path and find a new one. The simple, he said, they stay the course And they pay for that with pain and destruction. So today what I want to do is look at why we still have this tendency. All these years after Solomon, why is it that we still have a tendency to choose our own path? And what can we do to make sure that we're on the right path? I'm going to be reading from Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, if you'd like to turn there in your text, or this week I did print it on the note sheet because I'd actually like for us to read together the first couple verses. Some of you probably don't need to read it. If you have Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 memorized, it doesn't matter to me what translation it is. If you haven't memorized, feel free to say it aloud as the rest of us read it right here off the note sheet. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And then Solomon continues, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So according to Solomon, God will make your path straight 
if you'll do, if we'll do three things, God will make our path straight. Let's look at those real quick. First of all, trust in the Lord with all of your, say it together, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. This is the first thing to making sure that we're on the right path. The first thing to do is to do what our currency here in the United States says we do already. What does our currency say we do? In God, we trust. Which in my experience is rather ironic. Because for most of us, our money is actually the last thing that we trust God with. Sometimes we'll, uh, the average Christian, if you will, will sometimes occasionally do something to help someone else out. They'll help financially or they'll, they'll have a few extra dollars and so they'll do something benevolent with it. But by and large, the average Christian doesn't actually trust God with our money until way late in our spiritual formation. But but don't misunderstand, Solomon's not just talking about money here. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, with every area of your life. Yes, with your finances, but also with your family, with your friendships, with your profession, with your children, with your parents, with your retirement, with your health care, with your travel, with your automobiles, With everything, Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, what I've found, at least at this point in history, in this part of the world, we like to do something with our heart, but it's not necessarily trust in the Lord. You've probably heard this before, like I have. Just follow your, what's your heart telling you? Go with your heart. You know, I, I, I've even heard this, and, and, and pardon me, it's a huge pet peeve. I've even heard this as advice in Sunday school classes and church small groups, as if saying it with a Bible open on your lap somehow makes it true, somehow makes it good advice. It's not. It's bogus advice. It's a, it's a Disneyism. It's a, it pretends that everything turns out okay in the end, no matter what You choose, the prince always marries the princess and they always live happily ever after. So just follow your heart. Before you take this Disneyism too far, before you sanctify it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's actually see what God's word says about trusting, about going with our heart. The prophet Jeremiah said it like this. I think we're gonna put it on the screen. Nope, we're not. The prophet Jeremiah said it like this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. That's in Jeremiah 17, 9, if you want to check me. And you might want to. You've seen my math, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. But it wasn't just, this isn't just a a one-time accidental blip, like maybe Jeremiah meant something different. No, listen to what Moses said. This is Genesis 6, 5. Every inclination... Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart is only evil all the time. This is Moses. Now, we're looking at Solomon in this series. So I wonder if he says anything about it. Well, he does. Ecclesiastes 9.3, he writes, this is crazy. Listen to this. The hearts of people, this is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. I mean, it's all scripture. It's all God breathed, but 
This is Solomon's conclusion. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. (laughs) And afterward, they join the dead. This is Solomon. Scripture is clear throughout. We don't trust our hearts because our hearts are big, fat liars. Our hearts will lie to us. Every inclination of our hearts are only evil all the time. They're full of madness. And then we die. This this notion that we're going to go with our heart, that we're going to come to a fork in the road, and we're going to follow our heart, leads only to pain and destruction. Solomon says, no, 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 no. Don't follow your heart. What does he say to do? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Well, don't follow your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And there's a second thing. Lean not on your own understanding. So he says, um, trust in the Lord with your heart, right? Do it with me. He says, trust in the Lord with your heart. All right, do it with me. Trust in the Lord with your heart and lean not on your own understanding, okay? These are two different things to us, right? My heart talks about my emotions, my feelings. My head talks about like logical thought, rational thought, thinking through two different things for us. Do you agree or am I out in right field? You agree? Good, thank you. You guys are alive and awake. Two different things for us. Trust the Lord with your heart. Lean not on your understanding. For Solomon, not the case. For Solomon, the head and the heart, though 18 inches apart, were the same thing. Solomon is restating the same truth here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't assume that you already know the answer. It doesn't matter if you've done this job for 30 years. You have not been at this crossroads before. Yesterday, my daughter Anna and I were at Bremen, in Bremen at the Lake of the Woods, and and we were standing looking out over the lake, and my 13-year-old daughter blew my mind. She said something to me that I heard for the first time as a freshman in college. My daughter looked at me and said, you know, Dad, you can never stop step in the same body of water twice. I'm like, trying, trying to you know, be the cool dad. I'm like, that's exactly what Heraclitus said. And she said, who? I said, ah, he was a philosopher who lived a long time ago. <laughs> but it's this idea that it, it, you, can't, you can't step in a, in a moving river, the same moving river twice, the second time you step in it, it's a different river. The water has changed. The, you, you know, the, everything has changed about it. Same kind of thing here. Don't trust in your own understanding. It doesn't matter how, much, how many classes you've taken, how much experience you had. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how many other times you've helped other people navigate similar forks in the road. There's a sense in which you have not faced this fork in the road before. The circumstances are different. Things have changed. Don't trust in your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And what's the third thing Solomon says we have to do to make sure our paths are straight? Acknowledge him or God in all your ways. 
Acknowledge him or acknowledge God in all your ways. The other day, Sarah and I were standing in our kitchen having a, an important conversation with one, when one of our kids wanted to get our attention. But this was important that Sarah and I finished this conversation. And so um, I kind of I looked around Sarah and I winked at him and I smiled to let him know I acknowledge your presence. I acknowledge that there's something you want to show me. As soon as we're done here, you'll have my attention. This kind of acknowledgement, like I see that you're there, is not what Solomon's talking about here. This isn't Solomon saying, just tell God you, you hear him. You know he's there. It's, it's not like we can say to God, uh, okay, God, I hear you. I hear you, but I really want to give this a try, so when I'm done, I'll listen again. This isn't us saying to God, uh, okay, God, I know you're there, and I just hope you'll be there when I'm done with this path. That's not what Solomon's saying. I don't... I don't know what version of the Bible you're reading, if, assuming you've brought your own. I think the NIV now says something like, um, submit to the Lord in all your ways. And, and there's other translations out there. The, uh, the Hebrew, I, I don't really know how to capture this in the other way. The Hebrew word that Solomon uses here, let me give you a feel for what he's saying. He says, acknowledge the Lord. The Hebrew word he uses here is the same word that Moses uses over in Genesis, and it's used throughout the Old Testament, but the same exact word that Moses uses in Genesis when he said that Adam, this word, knew, it's translated the NIV, K-N-E-W, Adam knew Eve, and she bore him a son. His name was Cain. So when Solomon says, acknowledge him in all your ways, he's using the same verb that Moses used to describe the relationship between Adam and Eve that led to Cain's conception. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? Okay? Solomon is saying, you need to have a deep, intimate awareness of God. You need to have a desire to know his will as perfectly as you can. You need to have a commitment to spending the rest of your days to the best of your strength following God's will. This, all of this goes into what Solomon means when he says, in all your ways, acknowledge God. Acknowledge him. Have a deep, intimate awareness of who he is and what his will is for your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him. And if you're tracking with me, your logical question would be, okay, Pastor Earl, so how do I know if I'm doing these things? How do I know if I'm actually trusting him with all my heart and not leaning on my own understanding? If I have a deep, intimate awareness and knowledge of who, not awareness, knowledge of who God is and what his will is and desire to walk in his ways. How do I know? Because it seems like if I think I am, I might be deceived by my heart. And you're absolutely spot on, which is why Moses went on to give us three action steps. Moses Solomon went on to give us three action steps or maybe three billboards, we could say, to help us know if we're on the right path. First of all, he says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Listen again to verses seven and eight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Don't assume that you don't have to consult God with any decision. You do. 
Every decision merits prayer. Every decision merits at least a pause to say, is this of you, God? Which direction am I going? Don't be wise in your own eyes. Number two, honor God's provision for you. This is, a, this is an action step that Solomon gives us or a billboard to help us know if we're on the right path. Honor God's provision for you. Again, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. If you want God to direct your paths, he has to have your heart. And for most of us, as we've already established, our heart is directly connected to our wallet. How can God have our heart if he doesn't have our wallet? There's this, uh, there's this axiom in church leadership that says when people come to a church, their wallet is the last thing to come through the door. And when people leave a church, their wallet is the first thing to go out the door. It's this sense that I won't give to a church until I, um, until I believe in what it's doing, until I'm part of it. And as soon as I become dissatisfied, as soon as there's something I don't like, I'm going to stop my giving because my heart's not in it anymore. This is so opposite of what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so God says, if you want me to direct your paths, do what I ask you to do with your money. Your heart will go where your money is. And so lead your heart by listening to my stewardship teaching, Jesus Jesus would say, God would say. By doing with your money what I would ask you to do, what I've laid out in my word, is the best way to handle your money. And friends, this is one of the reasons why we're offering a Financial Peace University class. You have this in your bulletin. We're offering this class this fall, not because... We think that there's a lot of people here who are broke and living paycheck to paycheck and in debt. I mean, maybe that's your story, and and this would be a great class for you, but we're offering this class because we want to make sure that God has your heart. And so this is an opportunity to check your heart via your wallet to see if you're honoring God's provision. Number three, don't blame God for your pain Don't blame God for your pain. Verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. This morning my family was later than usual arriving here at the building. uh, Because this morning as I was doing some reading, I ran across an article Excuse me. I ran across an article from World Magazine uh, that was talking about the abuse that's happened not only in the Roman Catholic Church. You've heard about that this week. Calls for the Pope to step down because he was complicit in covering up what very cardinals, you know, various cardinals were doing. But not only in the Roman Catholic Church, but also in the evangelical Protestant church. And, and surely you've heard of what's happening up in Illinois at Willow Creek, an influential church in our day and age. There's very real evil in our world. And some of, some of us in here 
are victims of evil that we had nothing to do with. Someone abused us. Someone took advantage of us. We did nothing to cause that. We didn't deserve it. It cannot be blamed on us in the least. And if that's you, I give you permission to perhaps filter or close your ears for the next few minutes. There's very real evil that we have nothing to do with. It just happens to us. But so many times for so many of us, we hit a bump in the road or we come to a, a curve in our path or some hills and dips and, and, and we're like, why is God doing this to me? Why would God cause this pain in my life? If God's loving, why would he allow this? And Solomon says here, don't, don't blame God. You may be experiencing pain. You may be experiencing pain because you made a boneheaded decision. And that's the consequence. You also may be experiencing pain because you have a loving heavenly father who sees that you're on the wrong path. And so he wants to introduce into your life a course correction. And yeah, it's going to be a little painful. But his goal isn't to hurt you. His goal is to redirect you. He's disciplining you as a perfect father who wants to redirect where you're going. Solomon says if you're on the wrong path, you get on the right path by trusting in God with all your heart, by not leaning on your own understanding, and by having intimate knowledge, by acknowledging God, intimate knowledge of who he is and where he's going. And you can know that you're doing that by not being wise in your own eyes, by honoring God's provision for you, and by not blaming God for your pain. As we wrap up real quick, you're going to help me, you're going to help me wrap this up. I'm going to give you four thoughts on ways that you can, you can know that you're doing that, four steps you could take. First of all, you've heard this every week if you've been here. First of all, come back next week. Next week, we're going to talk about how do we navigate knowing if we're on the right path. How can we, uh, what tools are at our disposal to do that? Secondly, read from the book of Great. Today's September 2nd. You've heard this before if you've been here. If you haven't read your Bible yet today, read Proverbs chapter 2. Take a few minutes and meditate on anything that, that stands out at you. Tomorrow's September 3rd. You would read Proverbs. And if you keep going, by the end of September, you'll read almost all of the book of Proverbs. And then you can start over. It works quite well. Number three, join a... Some of our groups have started for the fall. If you're looking for a place to connect, talk to me after church, send me an email. We'll do our best to connect you to a small group of people who can help you navigate your path. And number four, make a course correction in your life. Listen, if the Holy Spirit has nudged you about something today, do something about it. Don't wait. There's not a magic button. There's not an easy button coming next week. We're not going to get to the end of this series and everything's going to fall in place. You're going to be like, oh, now I understand. Just do something. If the Holy Spirit has whispered in your ear, if he's put his hand, his finger on your heart, don't go to bed tonight without making a change. Navigate a different path. Draw out the map. Make the plans. Call someone who can help. If God's speaking to you, make a course correction now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God and he will make sure 
You're on the right path. He will make your path straight. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't duck and hide from the realities that we deal with, that sometimes we make poor decisions because we trust our heart instead of trusting you with all of our heart. Sometimes we assume we know the answer because we've got so much education and experience and we fail We fail to lean on your understanding and your wisdom. Father, would you help us in all our ways to acknowledge you, to be growing in a deep intimacy with you, a deep personal awareness of who you are and where you're leading so that we can be on paths that honor you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Would you please stand so we can bless one another? If you're a guest with us today, uh, I'm going to ask you, after I've blessed you, uh, to say and also to you, and as that way, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can bless one another. Uh, May you trust in the Lord with all your heart. May you acknowledge God in all of your ways. And may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give you peace. Amen. You are loved. Go with grace.